Welcome to Books with Bagby, a podcast about books. In this podcast, I sit down with authors discussing the reason behind certain books that they've written, or we just sit and talk about education, music, technology, or something of the like. If you find this podcast to be your cup of tea, make sure you like, subscribe, and all the things. And share it with your friends, because solos are for grain, not education. And now, Books with Bagby. Today we're here with Tom Murray and, or Thomas C. Murray, my bad, uh, and we're looking at personal and authentic, designing learning experiences that impact a lifetime. And I I actually really like this book. Not that I actually, I have to say actually, because I don't know why, but I did like the, I do like the book. And I've been sharing stories with others since I've received it. And Tom, welcome. And tell us about this, personal and authentic. I know folks write books because of experiences and some write because of research. Tell me about this one. Awesome. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of the, the shows you've been releasing recently. And uh, thanks for the, uh, the highlight. Thanks for asking. So for me, personal and authentic was exactly that. It was, it was real personal in nature. You know, when I contrasted a little bit to my previous books, which were a bit more academic, a little bit more research focused for me, personal and authentic was, I felt like I had some stories that could really encourage, inspire, and bring educators together. It was released just before the pandemic, November of 2019. So two months before the <laughs> pandemic, you know, and part of it in the very first words of personal and authentic are the work is hard, but our kids are worth it. Because I wanted to recognize and show like, working with educators all across the country and the work that I get to do, people are working nonstop so hard. And that was pre-pandemic. I often joke, if I could write those (laughs) words again right now, I would say the work is ridiculously hard. (laughs) Yes. But our kids are worth it. And my main goal, Greg, was to really bring people back to what matters most. I think for so long, we became so data heavy and like data driven that we lost sight of the kid. We lost sight of why we were really doing what we were doing. And we tried to put students into these like four-year college boxes and we got rid of their interests, their passions and their strengths. We tried to standardize things that just aren't standard. And so I really wanted to try and bring us back to the heart and soul of why we do what we do And so in Personal and Authentic, I bring people back to that why I share some of my own personal story and vulnerably share when my mindset was off times I needed that mindset and attitude adjustment to also help people realize that sometimes we've got to look in the mirror before we point the finger. And I say that with the utmost respect and love for educators out there that are working tirelessly for kids, but bringing it back to relationships and culture and trust and mindset and hidden stories and all those kinds of things is a big part of the reason that I wrote it. The other thing is I had some, excuse me, I had some stories that I wanted to share. One of them being part of my daughter's story. In chapter three, I talk about the hidden stories within, and it goes back to what I was sharing about mindset and culture and the people side of the work, recognizing that every child that walks into our classroom has stories on their hearts. And Maybe they're really good things, but maybe they're not such great things. And also the person across the hall that's teaching, they've got stories on their hearts and maybe they're super excited and all jazzed up and you have no idea because it's something personal and they're looking forward to it after school, but maybe you don't know in that moment, but maybe they're struggling today. Maybe your principal is really struggling today and just trying to keep it together at work. And I call them the hidden stories because we don't often know. And so do we create a culture where those stories can be shared if the person wants to. Not that we want to force people. We're never going to force them. We're not going to always know the stories. But how do we get to know the stories of our people? And that's the relationship. That's the care. That's the trust. And so I tell part of my daughter's story. 
her medical journey. And I talk about how many days absent, 35 days absent, 20 days tardy in a 14 month period. Because if we just looked at the data, we'd make some judgments, right? Mm -hmm. Kids lazy, parents don't care. They don't value education. They don't want to be here. Maybe she's pregnant. Maybe there's bullying. Like I've heard it all. I've asked thousands of educators, what judgments might people make? And those are some of the responses. But the moment I start to say, what if I told you in every one of those 35 absences, she was two hours from our home undergoing food allergy therapy as the first child in the Northeast to undergo what she went through for sesame. What if I told you 19 of the 20 tardies were two hours from home? My little girl took 180 hours. She spent driving in a car. She drove 10,000 miles. Every one of those absences or tardies, she would say, mommy or daddy, I really wish I could be in school this morning. But what if I told you because of those 14 months, because of those therapies, my little girl who we've almost lost multiple times, because of cross-contamination levels of sesame, breads, crackers. By the way, you know why I asked about a classroom party and what was gonna be there? Cause it was truly life or death for her and the severity of the allergies. My little girl who has been hospitalized for cross-contamination levels of sesame now eats the equivalent of 2000 seeds of sesame every single day in her daily dose to keep her safe. And it's part of her story. And the reason I share all that is cause it's an example of something. If she rolled into your classroom, she could spend an entire year and you would have no idea of all she's been through in life, that whole journey, why she's somebody with immense empathy, why she's somebody that sees the world the way she does, why when she walks into a cafeteria, her anxiety might go up a little bit because she still has other ones related to tree nuts and stuff like that. And so it's an example that I saw with my own eyes, not with my educator lens, but as a dad, I saw the emotional take. I saw the the anxiety that went with every time we'd go to a doctor's office, or I, I saw how sometimes we had to prioritize well, all the time, her mental health over things like math and reading. And as a dad, that was far more important to me. And so part of it was trying to be able to leverage with her permission, by the way, understanding the stories. And that's just one student in one school in one district. And so as the students come to us, as the teachers come to us, recognizing the stories in other people, because the story matters every single time. Oh, that's great. So a, a lot of things that resonated with me inside of this book was the fact that you kept going back to relationships and I'm really big on relationships. I had this whole big thing, RPM equals AS, which is relationships plus P. Oh, passions plus motivations and mindset equal academic success. Cause I believe but we don't know the child. And if the teacher doesn't know that about your daughter, how are they ever going to be successful if they don't know them? And the other guy, Todd Whitaker, talks about you don't have to like the child, but you have to act like you know that you act like you like the child. And I would go a step further with my teachers. I wanted them to know them. I wanted them to know them wholeheartedly. And I believe you keep going back to the fact that these authentic relationships, if you don't mind me pulling one of your words, are needed uh, to connect with those students. Yeah. Yeah, I think when we think about just us as human beings, I mean, we all naturally want to be environments where we're comfortable. Like we are wired for that. Your brain for survival is wired for comfort. It's actually the exact same reason why it's challenging as a teacher or as a principal to say, hey, I'm going to jump out in faith, try something brand new. I have no idea if it's going to work. Like that's not natural. And it's why people struggle with it because you're wired for safety. We're wired for comfort. So under that same premise from a learning science that com being comfortable matters. And so if yes. we think about just being with adults, like if you go to a spot at work, where you don't like the people around you, you despise your boss, right? Like, so if you're listening to this and you're a teacher and you're thinking like, I despise my principal, they are evil. You are proving the point of how much relationships matter. Cause you can't say that out of one sense 
and then be that in the classroom on the other end. And again, I say that with the utmost respect, but it's easy to point the finger at my principal as a teacher and then not expect the same for myself in the classroom, for my students. People want to be in an environment where they feel loved, where they feel cared for. That's human nature. Now, I think what happens is sometimes look at people look at that and they think, well, I'm, I'm here for beyond the, just the game playing. My room's not just going to be a party. And to me, that's like a total easy cop out because like I've never met the teacher that says I'm just going to do that. Like the academic side doesn't matter. But here's the thing. When we can get through a kid's heart, we can really push the mind. But it's virtually impossible to push the mind if they know you don't care about the heart. Why? There's no trust. Right. Yes. Why? Why am I going to step out in faith? Why am I going to trust you if I don't think you care about me? Why am I going to open up and share the hidden stories if I think I'm going to be ridiculed in front of everybody else? But the flip side is this, we can connect with that colleague we have that relationship with. Every one of us, because we're human, are going to have a bad day. That colleague that we can just say, today's just not the day. That lesson fell apart. Or man, I really messed that up in front of my staff as the principal. The moment we can be real, the moment we can be vulnerable, like I tried to model throughout Personal and Authentic, you won't find one time where I'm patting myself on the back. I refuse to do it when I speak in front of audiences. I refuse to do it in a book, but I will be vulnerable. I'll share weaknesses. I'll share times where it was me that was the issue, that I needed the attitude adjustment. I needed the loving, like whacking the head from my mentor being like, we don't act like that here. We don't do that here to really set myself straight. Cause sometimes it's really easy to point the finger. It's a lot harder to look in the mirror and say like, well, what about me? How do I impact that? And so I think that relation piece going back to that, it's not about just, wow, this is all about fun and games, but at the end of the day, how, how do we build time to show kids that we really care? So when those real world issues do come up, they know that we really do care about it. And there are days where your calculus class isn't the most important thing in that child's life. It doesn't mean it's more important, but we have to recognize the priorities. And so we're not making excuses for people. And I think that's one of the things of like, well, I, I'm not going to make excuses for my kids. I think we've got to back up and just recognize like, as the teacher, you recognize there's times, maybe there's something in your marriage, something happening with your own child. Maybe it was the loss of a parent. We're like, you're teaching that content wasn't the most important thing in your world that day. Well, guess what? Our kids can relate to that because there's days they show up. It's not the most important thing in their world today either. If I'm a child that hasn't eaten in 24 hours and I show up to your class, I might be thinking, you know what? Like, when's my next meal? And that might supersede like, like PEMDAS that day in math class. And so when we process that, we have to be understanding that human nature, we want to fit in, we want to fit connected. We are social creatures as human beings. And so the other piece I would say, and that comes throughout the book is I'm not just talking about those first couple of days of school. Every place that I know builds, tries to build that culture, build some relationships. Let's play the name game. Like it goes beyond the first couple of days of school here. How can we intentionally build a culture where people want to be? How to build relationships in an environment that create them want to coming back to it? Listen, at schools, law mandates that our kids show up. If it didn't, would they, right? And I know yeah. the amazing educators that I get to work with, I know the answer is absolutely yes, because they're building relationships, showing kids that they love and care about them and doing whatever it takes to help them be successful. That, that was a lot. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you talked about, and you, you hinted on it a little bit about those learning sciences, and you talked about those key principles. Yep. And one of the things that I think that some teachers may have forgotten or they don't think about is that psycho psychological safety yep. that they request when they're at work, they want to be able to talk to the principal and be able to engage and act, well, just have conversations with those that lead them. But I think the students need that same piece. 
And I believe that's part of your learning sciences. Uh, when you talk about the 10 key principles in the learning sciences, I think that's part of it. The students will learn yeah. when they feel safe and connected. And it's that feeling safe and connected is what we need to make sure that we're ensuring. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there, there's so many pieces that we can pull from that. You know, if we take the average day, and again, I say this, I'm, I'm as, as large of a public education supporter as you will find when it comes to any of this work, any of this in classrooms. But the thing is, I'm also going to be real. And I'm going to try and tell it like it is. If we took today, if you're a teacher listening to this or a principal and you think of today and the next in-service you go to was run like we ran our classroom today and we were in the seats. Would we leave that day inspired and encouraged having learned something or would we leave that day like we often do in in-service days? Like I have too in the past being like, man, I lost some brain cells today. Like, would oh, we yeah. want somebody in the next in-service to just sit and talk at us for 60 minutes? If the answer is no, we can't turn around and do that to kids because we as adults can actually take that more than an eight-year-old can. Right. And so part of it, going back to the learning sciences, is really understanding how the brain works, understanding breaks that people need, understanding that, yeah, if I have an hour block, standing up, quick conversation, find somebody you have two minutes, go just to get the blood flowing is huge. And so I've done that in keynotes with literally 9,000 people. Stand up. You have a minute and a half to do this. Sometimes we can look at it and be like, whoa, we'll never get them back. No, we'll get them back but we need to get them to move. We need the blood flowing, that energy that's really, really important, right? When you look at the average person, that seven, eight minute window, we've got to break up the monotony of kind of the same thing over and over and over again. And so when we look at the learning sciences, understanding how the brain works, for so long in education, there's been these silos of researchers that research learning, and then the people that actually do it in classrooms, and there's been like no connection. So now yes. there's been a lot of research over the last decade or so on learning sciences, how the brain works, and really practical things that we can do in the classroom, especially when we look at like the middle school age, like middle school brains, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know here, are different. It's why middle school, I have a middle schooler right now. Trust me, they're different. <laughs> they're wacky. Sometimes you think you're talking to a 30-year-old. Sometimes you feel like you're talking to a four-year-old, right? That's middle school. The hormones, everything's all but there's a science to it. So if we know those kinds of things, we know middle schoolers need social interactions. So how are we planning our schedules? How are we planning things with teaming with lots of social interactions? Cause that's what their brain needs at that point. Yes. And so when we look at those things, we are doing students a disservice by not understanding how the brain works. And then the flip side, when we know how the brain works and we plan to that and we try and teach like that, and we do things that can be really practical in nature, we can get better results in the process and kids can have a better experience. And I think that's what it's about, making sure that we get better results and kids having those better experiences. So challenging, I would say, um, in writing this book, what were your greatest challenges? Because you, you put a lot of yourself inside of this book, so to speak. Yeah. Yes, my largest challenge there would honestly be time. You know, looking at it with, I don't want to take time away. I mean, I'm somebody that travels a lot. I fly multiple times every week. I didn't want to take additional time away from those that I love. I don't want to be taking, hey, I'm here to be dad, but sorry, I'm going off to write. And so I'd say 98% of Personal and Authentic was written between four and seven in the morning. Why? Because that's when I normally slept. And I didn't have to take away from my family to be able to write during those hours. The tough thing was, you know, I would get up in the mornings and force myself to do it. Sometimes people would say, man, how did you write for like th that many words and that, you know, that much emotion and all those pieces. There were days that I got up that I didn't want to write. 
And I forced myself and my reward was I'm going to go right at Starbucks so I can get a Starbucks coffee, but I'm going to sit there for two hours. The challenge, to be honest, was there's a lot of emotion in personal and authentic. There's some stories of tragedy in, in education and, and in my world that that really brings out emotion in people. But I will tell you, I, I, I know what it's like to be 530 in the morning at a Starbucks writing on my computer with tears streaming down with the Starbucks employee being like, hey, you doing all right? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> just writing a book, right? Tears are flowing. But it came back to Greg, that's how real this work is. This isn't a nine to five, go clock in, go clock out, do your thing. There's real emotion in this work, the, that human connection that goes back to the relationship piece that we just talked about. That goes back to the personal and authentic. There's real emotion in this work. And it's why educators that have been so um, you know, connected throughout the pandemic, it's why there's real struggles when anxiety is high and fear is high and some of the real challenges that we've had there's such emotion to this work. And that's why when educators pour their hearts and souls into everything, they do need breaks like we have coming up here this summer right now and those kinds of things because the emotion really is there. And part of the challenge in writing a book is, is that. The last piece that I'll say is I really tried to model vulnerability. And you know, when you put yourself out there and thousands and thousands of copies have been sold, like, and I tell where I failed and I tell where like my mindset was off, and I tell how I screwed it up. In fact, I had one lady one time, because I, I get to speak to so many different folks. One lady one time was like, you told a whole lot of stories today that like, you really messed things up. Did you ever <laughs> do anything that was good? And like, I was like, wait, is she kidding? Like, is she not kidding? Is she being funny? But part of it was like, I want to model vulnerability because what I find is, you know, in the books, or if I was standing on a stage, if I was up there saying like, well, this is how I did it in my classroom and in my building, this is how I did it. And I just patted myself on the back the whole time. Here's what happens. It, it's easy to stand up there. And first of all, I can say whatever I want. It doesn't mean it's right or good, but it's easy for to people to sit back and say like, well, yeah, if I had that principle, I could do that in my classroom. If my PTO raised that money, we could do that. If we were more suburban, we could do that. If we were a smaller district, we could do it. If I had that board or that super, you come up with every excuse why you could. But the moment I'm real and share times where it was my mindset that was off, where I was the issue, where I put the cap on the kids learning, where I made the mistake as the principal, where it was my supervision meeting that I was wrong. Like it lets the guard down a little bit and people can say, yeah, you know, like I've been that person in the faculty room too. I, I've been that person. I know what he's talking yeah. about. And I think just keeping it real. I think people have a respect for that. I trust people enough to know that like they're smart and they'll see right through the, 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 the nonsense, the fluff, and they'll get right to, but when you're real, and you keep it authentic, I think people have a respect for like, hey, he's, he's kind of telling it like it is. And so that was part of my goal there as well. But it's a challenge because you're really putting yourself out there. And, and you truly did. So of course, follow up. Do you have, now that you spent all that time challenging yourself to put this out there, do you have any projects on the horizon nope no chance i'm done no <laughs> i joke being like i've said everything i want to say between personal authentic and learning transform i put it out there i get the inkling and the urge every once in a while but here's the thing it has to be it is such a labor of love it is at least a year process of like multiple three four times a week spending hours at a time I'm also working in my element right now with, with speaking and consulting and coaching and doing things that I'm really, really enjoying. And there's a balance when you're writing to be able to do all that. But I also, from a priority end, are recognizing my kids at eight and 12 are getting big real quick. And I've spent a lot of time on the road. I've spent a lot of time out of the house. I've missed a lot of things that 
maybe as they're older, maybe once they're into high school or don't want as much to do with me as dad or on to college and I get some of that time back, maybe then. But until then, I think I think I'm good because there's a lot going on. But um, I've, I've said a lot. And I also don't want to write the same book over and over. You know, my last two books were very different books. Oh, that was yes. really intentional. But at the same time, I want to make sure that things that I have are very fresh, very relevant, very new, and not to have somebody say, hey, go ahead and buy this. And I'm saying a lot of the same things over and over again. I wouldn't want to do that to people. And so when the time comes, probably, but not right now. Well, I, I would have to say, at first, I thought, oh, Tom is writing a book. I'm betting it. I'm guessing it's about culture and building relationships and all these things that everyone else has written about. And then I read it. I'm like, I like this. This is good stuff. So thank you for that. Oh, thank, thank you, you so for uh, surprising me and making me think, oh, wait, don't just lump everything in together. Yeah. You know, uh, Greg, one other piece, if I can mention real quick, I think that was important and personal and authentic um, and going back to why I wrote it, but also something like you're doing here on the podcast it was really important to me having a platform where a lot of people will listen. And I recognize that. I don't say that I ego and pride. I say it out of responsibility. It was really important for me to amplify a lot of voices. And throughout Personal Authentic, I believe it's over a hundred voices that aren't Tom Murray that weigh into the book and intentionally diverse voices. Because I recognize like the way I was brought up, my race, my culture, my religion, like that's one way I see the world. But many, many kids, the majority of kids look at the world differently than I do. And not that one's better or worse, they're different. And yes. so part of it was I looked at writing as a book as an opportunity to also elevate and amplify voices of people that I respected that were a kindergarten teacher, a superintendent, a board member, as you know, an elementary principal, so that other people could be amplified and their ideas or thoughts, even if it's just a couple quick ideas, make it stick type things. Um, but I wanted to amplify the voices of a lot of other people. My forward's written by Inky Johnson. Uh, many people, you're from Tennessee, you probably know the name Inky Johnson. <laughs> yes. Inky's a really good friend of mine um, with a very different life experience than me. Ken Shelton co-wrote the section on equity. Ken's one of my best friends. We live on separate coasts. He's a black male. I'm a white male. You didn't notice in the podcast, right? Like we have very different parts of life, but we're as close as friends as could be. I respect his work. And I said, Hey, can you work with me on this? Because your your perspective matters, right? When I talk about cultural relevance, my world has been very different, especially you look at all the things that have happened in our world, especially in the last couple of years. So Dr. Rosa Perez, Isaiah, a really brilliant female, great friend of mine, her world growing up as a Spanish speaker coming to this uh, the United States as an immigrant, going to school in her first days, not knowing English to start, like that's a very different world than Tom Murray grew up in. I don't say that again out of pride or one's better, they're different. And so when I talk about cultural relevance, like who am I to talk about that story? Because I've never experienced racism. I've never experienced some of those things. And so to be able to amplify the voices of other people to share from their stories, I shared some of mine, they got to share some of theirs only brings a better perspective together. The diversity in our lenses makes us strong. And those pieces together are really important to amplify the voices of other people because other people have great things to say. So I look at it as a responsibility to help elevate that. I love it. So I was going to ask you if there was one gym or one something that you wanted to give out of the book. And you talking about, you talked about make it, making it stick, which I love those sections. And then there are other sections that you have the whole stop and reflect. Uh, yeah. it's too often when I'm getting a book and I go through, I don't stop and reflect, but you told me to, so I had to. 
So yeah. I had to stop and think about what you just wrote. Yeah, so. and I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to a really good principal friend of mine in Pennsylvania, Tara Desiderio. She, um, I, I sent my book early to probably about 10 different people and just said, rip it apart. Give me thoughts. And again, I wanted principals. I sent it to superintendents. I sent it to teachers because that was my audience. And one of the things she wrote, she said, I love it, but, and I'm like, here we go. And she gave really good mm -hmm. feedback. She said, I really kind of want to stop and reflect. And I was like, can I steal that? I got permission. She said, absolutely. <laughs> and so, but the thought came from her to be able to say like, you're getting into some deep concepts here, give people some time to breathe and just like question and think through the different pieces. And so with her permission, I took that feedback, brought it into the book to just help people process. Cause a lot of times in education we throw, and I can be really guilty of this as a presenter. I feel like I've gotten better, but we can be really bad. We can be really guilty at throwing a lot of information out, drinking from that fire hose. If I'm the participant or whatever, or the reader, or whatever it might be, and never really having time to process. And so those were in there to help people to just really just breathe and just think through it. What do you really think there? Why do you do that? You know, what did you say when you got hired? That kind of thing. Yes. Well, I, I truly appreciate them. Well, Tom, our time is coming to an end, but uh, we've been talking about personal and authentic. And before we let you go, how can people connect with you? I know you're on the Twitters and you do some <laughs> blogging and yeah, just a, just a little bit. Well, one thing I'll throw out there just as a free resource. So I put together about 150 videos, articles, again, trying to amplify other people's voices around really important themes throughout the book, relationships, culture, equity, technology, different things, learning spaces, things that you'll see in there. If you go to thomascmurray.com, that's a great spot to connect with me, link to all the different socials that are there. Um, but if you go to thomascmurray.com slash authentic edu, you will see, and you don't need the book to do it. I'm not trying to sell you a book. It's there, lots of resources. If you're a principal, superintendent, your next in-service day, your next faculty meeting, if you're a teacher and you want to challenge your own thinking and some of the other areas that I mentioned, lots of great resources from lots of people all curated there. You don't need the book to do it. I encourage you to check that out. And if you forget the name of that website, you can look it up in the book because it is listed in the book. Every the chapter, every chapter. <laughs> so just in case you forget. Uh, but Tom, I would like to thank you for coming out and joining me this afternoon or evening or whatever it is. It depends on where you are and when you're listening. Uh, and I, I appreciate all that you do for education and the educators. Uh, I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you for the opportunity and look forward to seeing you in person soon. Well, as we close, I would like to wish everyone a great day and, of course, say uh, whether you're in a schoolhouse or in a boardroom, always ask good questions, answer the ones you can, make someone feel special, and be great because you are great. Have a great day.